If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. Go all the way to Revelation, turn back. From there, Jude, and then you'll come to 3 John, 2 John, and then 1 John. 1 John, we're go- we've been uh, <clears throat> discussing, starting last week, I started a series called His Love Never Fails, and um, uh, I'm really excited to share some things with you today that I, I believe that some of you will revolutionize your life. I know it, it's revolutionized mine, no doubt about it, and changed my, my whole thinking in regards to God's grace, His love, and His forgiveness. Um, but we, we've, we've been, we started last week in John chapter 3, and if, if you could quote this scripture with me, I think most of you probably know it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is so wonderful that this is all started in love. God's whole plan for you started in love. God's whole plan for salvation for you to spend eternity with Him is started in love. Let me remind you today, God is love. He is love. And so He, and that expression of His love is that He would do everything it took for Him to get you, even at the cost of His own Son. 1 John chapter 1 Starts off now. I want to say something here that when you read the, when you read certain books of the of the Bible, some of them, the, the Apostle Paul's um, book of Galatians, his letter to the Galatians, was really a defense. Is what it was. If you uh, Paul is having to to deal with these um, Judaizers, that is, those who were coming into it, the Gentile church and trying to make them live according to the law, telling them they needed to live according to the law, they needed to live like Jews. And Paul had to take a strong stance in the book of Galatians and say, listen to me. And they tried to refute Paul's teaching by saying that he, you know, his apostleship wasn't authentic. And Paul said, listen, no man laid hands on me for me to become an apostle. I became an apostle by Jesus Christ. And so he takes this strong stance teaching us that I didn't, I didn't come up with this apostleship and no man came up with the apostleship. Jesus Christ did this, all right? So therefore, I have words to say, not of my own authority, but of upon his authority. And the, it was, it's a strong defense of the gospel too. Paul, uh, I mean, he says some really strong things in, in the book of Galatians. One of those things being that if I or an angel from heaven, or any man come and preach to you any other gospel than that which I already have spoken to you, let him be accursed. Let him be, that is, cut off from the life of God. He said, so if I come to you with a new information, a different gospel, he said, don't believe me. What I gave you was exactly what you needed, all right? That gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day from the dead. And whoever believes on him, as Jesus said, will receive everlasting life. It's the glorious, glorious good news, the gospel of Christ. So in, in here in 1 John, we're going to see also a, a little bit of the same kind of thing, except John wasn't really fighting 
Judaizers, he was fighting Gnosticism, all right? Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which just means knowledge. And these uh, Gnostics were coming into the church trying to convince them that they they were spiritually... Uh, enlightened, that they had superior spiritual knowledge. They believe that all flesh is evil and that only spirit is good. And because they believe that, they didn't believe that Jesus really came in the flesh. Uh, they believed that he was um, more of an illusion. They also believed then that because uh, sin had to do with our flesh, then there really wasn't sin, that sin was merely an illusion. And some of that's in the earth today still. You know, these little cult groups, some of them say that, you know, that sickness is an illusion. That's what Scientology is. Sickness is an illusion. That, that if, if the body's sick, then they deny that sickness. I'm not sick, I'm not sick. Well, that's, that's not faith. We don't do that. We, we don't say I'm not sick. We say I'm healed. All right? It's not the denial of things as they are. All right? It's just calling those things that be not as though they were, not those things that are as though they are not. Okay, just to set that straight, set straight there. The church in Ephesus was filled with people who not only didn't believe Christ came in the flesh, but they didn't believe that sin was real. All right, so you have to understand, this is the position, John's having to come in and get set the record straight. All right, and it opens up, right, he beautifully lays out this case for God's love through Jesus Christ. Look at this, that which was from the beginning, First John, John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. In other words, this isn't an illusion. Which we have looked upon and our, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Are you catching this? So John is saying, I know the story. I know that Jesus Christ came in the flesh because I walked with him, I saw him, I heard him, I handled him with my hands. The physical man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, I saw him. So what John is also saying to us by saying that is that I have credentials to speak to you. Because some of you weren't there. You didn't experience what I experienced. You might have heard through speculation uh, uh, rumors about this man, Jesus, or whether he was an illusion or not, I'm here to set the record straight. I saw him. I saw him turn water into wine. I saw him touch blind eyes and watch them open. I saw him raise people from the dead. I watched it happen. I saw him breathe his last on the cross. I watched him die. And then I saw them take him down from that cross and put him in a tomb. But then three days later, I saw him resurrected, full of life again, and yet we ate and drank with him even after he rose from the dead. He is real. And I have something to say to you because others have funny stories about this man, but I'm here to tell you I know the man, and I'm going to help you understand who this man is. A few years ago, my brother was in Mozambique on a mission trip. This has been several years ago. And he had uh, my wife, his wife, not my wife, his wife Jennifer, nephew by the name of Paul, with with them on this trip and they were walking around the mission there and looking at different things and they came up on this goat pen which part of it was a wall that had been was basically ruins from a years prior civil war and in this wall that was still standing there were these large holes in it from from cannonballs and uh 
so my brother was taking some pictures of the wall, and he thought, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to really capture how big these holes are in this wall. So he told Paul, he said, Paul, put your hand next to that, that cannonball hole, and then that way whoever sees the picture can get the perspective of how large the hole is. And so he did, and they, he snapped pictures of that. And then after they were wrapping up the trip, uh, the missionary who, uh, with whom they were staying asked my brother if he could download his pictures so that he could give a report on what all happened on this mission trip. And so my brother said, yeah. So he downloaded the pictures. Brandon comes back to the States. A few weeks later, he gets a newsletter in the mail from this missionary, and he opens it up, and there are various pictures uh, of their mission. One of the pictures, Brandon said, the picture that I took of the wall was on there, the picture. And there, there's Paul standing there with his hand on the wall next to the hole on the wall. And uh, he said, I thought it was cool. And he said, until I read the caption underneath. And the caption said, visitor prays for our wall. Apparently, the guy didn't know why in the world Paul had his hand on the wall. He just speculated that, oh, he must be praying. It wasn't the story at all. It looked like one thing, but that one thing wasn't true. And if he had just gotten news from my brother, then he would have known the real story. So John is saying here, listen to me. I was there. I was there. I can tell you the real story, all right? Are you ready? All right, let's go. Verse 2, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. This is an incredible statement that the Apostle John just, just uttered here. That life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Wow. In other words, what John just taught us about Jesus was that Jesus and eternal life are one and the same. Did you catch it? That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The Scripture says, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So when you believe on Jesus as your Savior, you receive Him as Lord of your life, he doesn't then in turn give you eternal life. No, he is eternal life. You get Jesus, you get eternal life. And we, need to, we need to understand that because Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In other words, eternal life will never leave you. Eternal life will never forsake you. Some of you can relate to what I'm, I'm about to say. Some of my experience in growing up concerning that, that thought was, was that, <clears throat> and, and sin, was that once you receive this free gift of salvation, that you receive Christ in your heart, and He comes and dwells inside of you, and you've been made eternally alive, yet there's this condition that you've got to live by. And that condition has to do with your failures. That condition has to do with sins that you commit from that time forward. And the condition is this, that if you sin and you don't confess that sin, there's a real good chance you are eternally lost. And if you were to die without having confessed that sin, then you're not going to have eternal life. Anybody else ever hear anything like that or, or was raised in that kind of environment that you always had to confess sins? just in case. 
And so I found that a lot of my prayer life was confessing sins, whether I knew or didn't know. Lord, just in case I didn't get them all. I mean, how is it possible we could even do that? First of all, confess all of our sins. We wouldn't have time to do anything else. But if we, I mean, what if you forgot one? Think about it. What if you forgot one? It's too late. It's too bad. So I lived in this fear constantly, and my prayer life, my conversations with God were simply me trying to not go to hell. Just let me just get cleaned up. Let me get my Christian bar of soap called confession of my sins and get cleaned up right quick. Okay, now, now I feel good. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm telling you, this was my experience, and it was a scary existence. I was scared. I was petrified of God. I was petrified of going to hell. And you know what I found out? I found that it never helped me actually get victory over sin. It didn't improve my life. It didn't improve my walk with God. It just made me feel better about myself. And tomorrow's a new day, and hopefully, hopefully I've got it all covered. <laughs> well, by me believing that, what I was really believing, what I was really believing was that sin was actually more powerful than eternal life. What I was actually believing, if I really was going to be honest, that sin had the power to drive Jesus out of my life. Now, nobody would ever want to say that, and I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't ever want to admit that, but that is kind of what I'm admitting if I think it's about my confession rather than his death. Okay, let's continue. Everybody love me? Say it. Tell me you love me. Tell me. Okay, I love you too. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Wow, what a powerful thing that God invited us into this fellowship. Fellowship means common interests and desires. That God has brought us into this ring of fellowship where we get to experience, we get to take on, if you will, His interests and His desires. See, that's more than just being forgiven. That's more than just being forgiven. This is such a huge salvation that we have that we can actually take on God's attributes and be interested in the things He's interested in and have the same desires that He has desires for. And then, as a result, experience the kind of life that He's called us to live. This is an incredible love that God has loved us with and continues to love us with. Now, so God made it possible for you and I to have the same interests and desires that the Father and the Son have. Now, if we can be honest today, how many of you know that you've lived life long enough to understand that the wrong interests and the wrong desires are what jack your life up, right? They take you down this wrong path and you knew you experienced anything but the life that God came to give you. So that's the more I can replace then my interest with his interest and my desires with his desires, the more his life will be manifested 
in my own life. See, your fellowship with God affects your life in such a way that you take on His interests and desires. Your thoughts change. Your actions change. Your friends change. Your words change. Your want-tos. Your want-tos change. You know the common excuse for why people do what they do? I can't help it. I was born that way. It's a common excuse. I can't help it. I was born that way. All right. I was too. I was too. We were all born that way. But then we got born again. So now I can't help but make right decisions because I was born that way. Now I can't help but live right. I can't help, are you hearing me? But doing good to others because I was born that way. I was born again that way. So I don't have to be sorry for anything. I can't help it. I was born like him. When I was born again, I took on God's nature. So that's why these good things happen in my life. Amen. And these things we write to you, verse 4, that your joy may be full. Isn't this a wonderful message? John says, I'm telling you things here today that God has brought you into this fellowship, this beautiful fellowship, taking on his interests and desires so that your joy may be full. Full, full, full. David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. Not your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in this fellowship or in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Why is that important? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And to have fullness of joy is to have strength for every situation in life. And this message is what gives you that joy. This message is what fills you up with the joy of the Lord that God so radically loves you and has so radically saved you. Amen. Verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. This word light means moral and spiritual light and knowledge which enlightens the mind, the soul, and the conscience. So God is Moral and spiritual light and knowledge which enlightens the mind, the soul, and the conscience. And it's moral goodness, and it's purity, and it is holiness, and it is consequent reward and happiness. So check this out. God is light, and the consequence of him being light is happiness. So what that tells us is that God is happy. I'm happy to know that. Because I've been told before and I have felt before that God was mad. But he's not. Because he's light. And the end of light is happiness. He's happy. He's happy, happy, happy. So to know that God is that way and that he brings us into this fellowship, this called light, where we can then enjoy and have reward and happiness. Wow, in him is no darkness at all. The word darkness means unhappiness or ruin. There is no unhappiness or ruin in him. It's also the figurative term for sin and its consequences. The Hebrew word means chaos. So in him there is no chaos. Wow, that's good. Verse 6, if we say that we have 
fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, hang on a second. Let's remember who he's talking to and what he's talking about. He's talking about this Gnosticism that they believe that they are at this elite spiritual understanding apart from believing that they are in sin and they need Jesus to save them from their sin. Are you hearing me? They're spiritually enlightened according to them, but he says you cannot. You cannot be spiritually enlightened and still walk in darkness. All right? Stay with me. You can't say you're in that fellowship with God if you're in darkness concerning sin and Jesus. We, well, you're all feeling good right up into this verse, right? Hey, God's happy. He's not mad. He's happy. All right? Listen, and he's building this case. He's building this case. Check this out. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, how many of you are in the light? Hmm? As he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We were in this fellowship of light, and his blood cleanses us. This word cleanse is a strong word. It means has cleansed and continues to cleanse. Has cleansed and continues to cleanse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these guys who think that sin is just an illusion. Say, no, 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 it's not an illusion. It's a reality. All right? It's a reality. You're all born into sin. All right? So if you say you have no sin, you're lying. So this, this part has to be faced by all men. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And right there, that's one single solitary verse has been taken right out of context and brought down on the church, you better do this, otherwise you're not going to get forgiveness. And that's not even what it's talking about. That's not even what it's talking about. If, if it's so critical, listen to me, if it's so critical that we have this continual confession of sin, that we've got to make sure it's all right, how come our apostle, the apostle Paul, didn't mention one word about it? I mean, if it is all about that, if it's that critical, if it's that important, why doesn't our apostle say anything about it? Hmm. What is John talking about? John's talking about these numbskulls who say that they're not in sin. He says if we confess our sins, that word confess is the word homologeo. It's a, it's a, uh, the Greek word, H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O, and it means to agree with or to, the say, or to say the same thing as. That is, if we say the same thing as God has said concerning our sins, what has he said? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we say the same thing that God has said, if we agree with God concerning our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We've opened ourselves up to receive his forgiveness. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he finishes it with this verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That is, we've never received the truth. We've never received the truth that all have sinned and we need Jesus to save us. That's all he's talking about here. He's not talking about the lifestyle of the believer. This is talking about the unbeliever who needs to acknowledge some things. Those who think they're enlightened apart from Jesus. All right? 
I hope this helps you today because I know it's helping me. Well, Pastor, what do we do? What about, what, about, what about the Lord's Prayer? All right, let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Stop right there. Stop right there. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, 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 and in other words, forgive me like I forgive others. I don't want to be forgiven like I forgive others. I hold grudges. I take a while before I forgive. I have to think about it for a while. Come on, am I talking to you here? Forgive us as we forgive others. I No, no. And under the context of the law, that's what was required. Your heavenly father will not forgive you unless you forgive others. And then he'll forgive you like you forgive others. But something happened. Something happened, something changed when Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he rose from the dead three days later. The Apostle Paul later writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Whoa, that's different. That's different from me to ask God to forgive me as I forgive others. Now he's saying, you forgive others as I have forgiven you. I'm the standard now, and forgiveness comes before they ask. That's how I forgive. God forgave all of us before we ever even asked him for it. I mean, isn't our standard, when you ask for forgiveness, then I'll forgive you? When you acknowledge that you've done me wrong, then I'll, in exchange, give forgiveness? Hmm? Mm -mm, this is not the forgiveness of God. God chose to forgive you simply because he loved you, not because you were looking for him, not because you were asking him to forgive you, but because he just chose to do it. That's what separates Christianity from all other religions of the world. None of them are like it. All other religions of the world are me pursuing God. Christianity is God pursuing me. It's the only God that goes after people. God after me, God after you, in this hot pursuit of love. Woo. Jesus said it, that I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Wow. Now I want you to look. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Is this helping you today? His love never fails. His love never fails. My little children, these things I write to you. This is so good. So that you may not sin. In other words, you don't have to sin. This is how saved you are. This is how thoroughly his blood has cleansed you. You don't have to sin. He really did completely. Did he take away the sins of the world? Did he? I think he did. I know he did. 
My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not. And if anyone sins, here we go. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, we have one who speaks for us. Let me tell you, I'd rather Jesus speak for me than me speak for me. All right? He speaks for me. He's the high priest of my confession. Hmm. What have I confessed? Christ died for my sins. That's my confession, and that's Jesus' confession too. That's Jesus' confession to the Father. His confession concerning my sin is it is finished. That's his confession. He's the one speaking for me. He's the advocate, one who speaks on the other's behalf. Wow. Now see, even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the children of Israel did not confess their sins. They, didn't, they weren't required to confess their sins. They were required to bring blood. They brought an animal, and that animal would then be sacrificed, and blood would be poured out, and that would cover, or the word, uh, Bible word, atone, which means to cover their sin. The high priest would go in once a year with a basin of blood into the holiest of all, and the Scripture says that he would confess the sins of Israel and then pour that blood out on the mercy seat and atone or appease God's wrath. You got a better high priest than they did. Because the scripture says he had to atone for his sins and theirs. He knew he wasn't perfect. He was just meant, but Jesus was sinless. So consider this high priest. Consider this man, this high priest of our confession. He was touched with the very feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points as we are, the scripture says, yet without sin. In other words, he could have sinned, but he didn't. He subjected himself to be a man and to go through the same temptations you do and show you how you can overcome every temptation in life. All right? So what he now is your high priest, the high priest of your confession, so that when you have, what do you do when you sin then? What do you do? We've already been forgiven. Why would you ask for forgiveness when you've already been forgiven? What do you do? How do we do this? Well, the Scripture says to come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We run to this place called grace, and we lift up our arms and we thank Jesus that his blood has washed away all of our sins. That we say about our sins now what God has said, that they're forgiven. They're not covered, they're taken away. See, the blood of Jesus did so much more. i got one more thing to go through. Can, we, can you stick with me? Hebrews chapter 10, let's go there for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. We've had it ingrained in our head that we need to go ask God for forgiveness. Why are we asking forgiveness when he's already given us forgiveness? See, all that does for you, and we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 3 why that weakens the Christian life. I feel your love. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. In other words, what he's saying is that the old covenant, them sacrificing these animals over and over again, could not actually make the person perfect. It could only cover the sin for a 
temporary amount of time until they had to bring another lamb again and another lamb and another lamb and another lamb continually to be sacrificed for all of their sins. Now watch this. For then they would have, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Once, I mean, once they became perfect and were sinning no more, then they wouldn't need to offer sacrifices anymore. For the worshipers once purified, everybody say once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. Wow. Wow. Ooh. Would have no more consciousness of sins. But why is it that the church has so much consciousness of sins? When he once purified us. Because we haven't believed the gospel. That's what it comes to. We haven't really believed the gospel. We haven't really believed that God got over it. We're still living like we're in the old covenant. I got to pay the price. I got to do something. I need to feel bad enough. And I tell you, maybe if I'll just tell God enough, if I say I'm sorry enough, then finally I'll get tired of doing that and I'll finally win this deal. I know I'm talking to you. I've, I've walked it. It didn't make me any stronger. It didn't make me want to live better. I was just waiting for the next meeting with God when I had to get clean again. God help us. Look at verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. This is the problem. That if all we do think about is that we need to confess, we need to confess, then all we're going to be thinking about is sin. And we're not thinking about the once being purified, that he is the once for all sacrifice. It's like we just can't really accept it. It's like we just can't really accept that God is that good and he has thoroughly cleansed us from all sin. It's just too good to be true. It is too good. And it's still true. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All right? So it's not possible that your confession can take away sins. You have to rely on a greater power than your own. That is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus who speaks better things than that of Abel, the Scripture says. Abel's blood says, avenge me. Jesus' blood says, you're forgiven. Now, I know, I know, I know what goes through, through everybody's heads here, those who wrestle with this. I don't wrestle with it anymore. I used to. I used to fight this tooth and nail. Because it sounds like, it sounds like I'm saying you can just go do whatever you want. And let me go ahead and tell you, yes. Because if you have fully accepted him and his sacrifice and have come up into this fellowship with him, then your interests and your desires have changed. Your interests and desires, your wants have become his wants. So, yeah, go do what you want in him. And live that holy life. You're actually free to be like Jesus. You're actually free to be like him. Galatians 5 says something really wonderful. Stand fast, therefore. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ Jesus has made us 
free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And it's not, it's talking about the sin of self-righteousness there. The yoke of bondage is that I got to do good, I got to do right, I got to do good, I got to do right, I got to do good, I got to do right. To get out of that, hey, it's better than that, man. You're like Jesus. You're free and liberated to be like Him. Now go do that. Hallelujah. We've got a lot to talk about on this subject, and we will. We're just going to walk through. I want you to live at the maximum potential of your liberty and freedom in Christ and not be entangled with this sin consciousness any longer, but only have a Jesus consciousness, only have a righteous consciousness. That stuff won't even be a problem with you when you finally learn who you really are. And who you really are is found in who he is. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this time in your presence. We thank you for the amazing freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, you showed us in your word in Romans that says, sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. It's something about your grace that when we embrace the grace, it gives us a new desire. It gives us the right kind of desires. It causes us to live by true faith in God, not by performance for God. Because there's no way that we could ever perform right anyways. Jesus did it for us. Lord, I thank you that Christ did die for our sins. I thank you that he came and brought a new and living way for us. And has obtained for us eternal redemption through his blood once for all. Help us to fully embrace this so that we will live like you in the earth. And no more stumble around in darkness in our own self-righteousness, but fully embrace that we are righteousness through him who knew no sin but became sin. With every head bowed for a moment, every eye closed, I want to ask you today, if you're here today and you need to accept Jesus into your life and receive his forgiveness, but even greater than that, his salvation. And in that salvation, there is new life. In that salvation, there is eternal life. And that you are here today and you're going to fully accept for yourself that you cannot ever pay for the sins. You can never make it right, but that you are dependent upon Jesus. You're fully putting your trust in him that he came and died for you and you accept his free gift of salvation. Today, you want to be born again. Today, you want that lifestyle of freedom in Christ to be like God, to know that when this life is over, Life has really just begun for you. That when you close your eyes in death here on earth, you wake up in heaven in an instant. You can have that assurance today. Don't wait another moment. Don't go one more day without him in your life. Between me and you in heaven, if you're here today and say, Pastor Eric, that's me. I want new life. I want to be saved today. 
I want to be free today. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Amen. Good. Good. I want us all to do this. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray. And you who have raised your hand, I'm going to give you some words to say. But you're going to have to believe. I can't lend you faith, but I can give you some words to attach your faith to today. So let's just do this all together. God, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe God raised him from the dead. And now I invite you, Jesus, to come and live in me. I receive your free gift of salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. I believe old things are truly passed away. And right now, all things are new. God is my Father, and heaven is my home. And I confess, Jesus is Lord of my life. And from this day forward, Lord, I belong to you, and you belong to me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.